been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we just know ain't right. When there's a better life, there's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. God's people said, amen. We invite you to stand this morning. Uh, we're going to pray together to open our service today. Thank you for being here as we kick off our revival week. Uh, today's theme, Break the Chains. Uh, I believe God, I want some chains to fall today. And we thank God for sending Brother Jim McComas our way. Uh, he's going to be singing for us and preaching for us today. And I believe everyone here will leave blessed. 
Uh, let's open in a word of prayer this morning again. Thank you uh, for being here today. I'm going to ask Brother Butch Helms, if you will, to open our service in prayer. Man, we're going to sing He Set Me Free, number 305.
worship with our giving this morning uh, as the guys come on to remind everyone uh, this is our regular tithes and offerings and at the end uh, of the service we will be receiving a special uh, love offering uh, for the guest speaker 
And so please keep that in mind as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing over the offering today. I'm going to ask Brother Andy, if you will, to lead us in prayer. This morning, I wanted to share with you, Easter lily forms are on the table, and uh, those orders need to be turned in by next Sunday, so please uh, remember that. Uh, today begins our revival week. Tonight, our service is at 6, Monday through Wednesday. The services are at 7. I trust you will make plans to come to each to each service. Uh, remember, uh, parents, we have the Easter egg hunt in the dark Friday, March the 31st from 6.30 uh, to 8.30. There's going to be a cupcake competition uh, all kinds of neat and exciting activities. Uh, and, of course, we're going to be sharing the gospel with those present that night. And so if you have any questions about that, see Brother Cole. Um, we need certainly all the help we can for folks to get involved and help make that event special for our kids. Uh, Saturday, April the 1st, uh, we have a baby shower uh, from Ms. Hannah Gutierrez from 1 to 2.30 uh, here at the church. So ladies, please keep that in mind. Ms. Hannah's baby shower again on Saturday, April uh, first, And then uh, this Sunday on Easter, we're going to be teaming up with the Forest Lawn Cemetery again and doing a sunrise service. Uh, they send out invites to the community. And so last year they had a good turnout, and we're going to share 
the message of hope uh, through Christ. And uh, while we're out there, provide music, and it's going to be a great time. I will announce that set time once we know more, but usually it's around 6.30 or 6.45. Uh, then, of course, uh, Easter Sunday, everything here uh, will remain as is. Sunday school at 9.30, worship service uh, at 10.30, and then no evening uh, activities. Uh, church is a blessing to have Brother Jim McComas with us. I've been around him for uh, a long time now, I believe. I've heard him preach many, many times. I've heard him sing, and, uh, and God uses him as he does both to be a blessing to the Lord's church. And to this morning, he's going to come and sing for us. Good morning. I'm very glad to be in church this morning. I may rather be at church than the hospital. Uh, it is good to be here, and I know I know what it's like for the first day of revival, especially somebody's never been here before. I can sense it when I come in the building. Y'all are checking me out. Well, I got news for you. I've been checking you all out too. But isn't it good that we can come together and we have the the common bond of uh, knowing the Lord? And, and that is what connects us. This is going to be an unusual service, probably one of the more unusual services you've ever been in in church. Um, but I want to start with this song. This song really is the message this morning in short, in, in a couple minutes. I wrote this song in two, uh, 2016, and I had just written it, and I was in... Uh, Revival in Arkansas, and it was lunchtime on Monday, and I was in the parking lot of Chick-fil-A. How many believe God can move at the Chick-fil-A? It's not on Sunday, but uh, it was on Monday. And the Lord, I mean, I'm not super spiritual to say, I'm, the Lord just, I, I felt a, a real strong urge to turn my camera, my phone on, and I gave about a five-minute summary of the sermon you're about to hear in a few minutes here. And then I had just written this song. I didn't even know the words to it. I had it on a yellow legal pad next to me, and I sang the song, gave that little testimony, and uh, put it on Facebook. And uh, long story short, seven years later, that, that video has been viewed over 100,000 times, and I have received four, four distinct uh, messages, one lady which I got to meet and sing it for her in service, but four people who said I was ready to take my life. I mean, I was ready to take my life. And somebody sent me a video of you sitting in the Chick-fil-A parking lot in Arkansas, and you said that I was God's favorite. And that's the message this morning. I want you to listen to this no matter what you're going through. Somebody said if you preach to broken hearts, you'll never lack for an audience. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you're facing, uh, here's the message uh, in, in song, and then I'll share it here in a few minutes. heavy load I had to bear 
Just when I'd hit rock bottom and I was sure I'd never see the light of day That's when an old familiar friend passed by And these are the words I heard him sweetly say Just because you cannot see me It doesn't mean that I'm not there I watch over all my children, all my children. I listen closely when they, call. when they call But the one that's broken hearted well, that's my favorite child of all. My friend, today you may be walking that same dark and lonely path we all must try. Maybe sickness, sin, or sorrow have left you feeling that you're far away from God. Now, friend, I don't have all the answers, but through my valley there's one thing I've learned for sure. Our God can mend the broken pieces, and I know for sure He's going to see you through. Because He is closest to the broken. Please don't think he doesn't care And just because you cannot see him It doesn't mean that he's not there God watches over all his children He listens closely when they call but the one that's broken-hearted, well, that's his favorite child of all. God watches over all his children. He listens closely when they call. But the one that's broken-hearted, well, that's his favorite child of all. My friend, if you are brokenhearted, then you're his favorite child of the gym comes to preach. Uh, we've had a memory verse uh, for the month of March. It's Nahum 1-7.
We're going to say that together before we sing this song about the amazing grace of God. Let's say this together. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. One more time. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Nahum 1.7. Let's sing together this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, uh, for... Uh, the truth, um, Lord, that you are close to the brokenhearted. And God, you know every need that's represented here today. And God, we know that you alone are the one that can meet the deepest needs of our heart and our lives. So God, we just ask you to, uh, to flood this place today with your presence. Um, God, help us to be sensitive to your leading. Uh, Lord, help there to be a spirit of humility among us today. Uh, Lord, as we hear your word preached, and God, we just pray that you would watch over this time and that you would be honored and glorified and uplifted and pleased with this time. God, we ask you to anoint Brother Jim this morning and use him for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.
All right, you appreciate these uh, instrumentalists, all these, let's give a hand to the band this morning. You know, it's great to see a stage full of players and pickers. It's even better that they know how to play them. I go to a lot of places. I hear a lot of special music. Some is more special than others. But uh, uh, you got a drummer that knows how to drum. That's positive. That's a good thing. But I tell you, more than anything else, the thing that amazed me, let me tell you, I'll go to a lot of places this year. <clears throat> we do these services. You can count on here in Chainbreaker, but I will never. Any place I go this year or probably the rest of my life ever hear Chainbreaker played with a banjo. I asked him if he had a license to play that. I'm not going to start with my banjo jokes. You know one thing, you know the one thing that makes a chainsaw better than a banjo. Do you know what that is? A chainsaw has an off switch. That's a, okay, better now. I, I, I like a banjo. I like all kinds of bluegrass music. We need to get this thing started positively this morning. We need to get this... Uh, <clears throat> Revival started positive. I want you to look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your left right now and say, you look fantastic. Now look to the person to your right. Not your left. Look to the person to your right and say, pray for me. I just lied to the person on my left. So, uh, It is good to be here, and uh, it's good to be with uh, the Johnsons, and we got the Johnsons and the Huffs all down here together, and the Johnson kids and the Huff kids, and man, it's making me feel old because they're all growing up, but uh, it is good to, uh, to see all of you, and again, it's the first time. This is kind of an unusual thing uh, to come to a church I've never come, never, never spoke at before, and start a revival uh, with this uh, this message, and uh, it's kind of uh, kind of opening myself up to you and sharing my heart. And like I said, this will probably be different. And I don't really know what you've come uh, expecting this morning, but it probably won't be even what you anticipated. But I'm gonna really all I'm gonna do this morning is I'm gonna ask a question, and then I'm going to attempt to answer that question. And then I'm going to share, tell you my story. Um, and uh, and I assume we've got you've got my you got my slides. Is that we good? Okay, yeah. Everybody, everybody here uh, has something in common, and uh, everybody here is a child of somebody. And I bet I could get a real good uh, discussion going if I were to ask you. If you thought that your parents had a favorite child, and uh, some of you say, yeah, it was my older brother or sister. Some of you say, it was me. Maybe you're an only child. Uh, maybe you maybe you read. Uh, we all know, don't we, that the, that that first child, the first child, always has it rougher than all the rest. How many know that, right? Because that first I mean, even when they're a baby. When that first baby comes along and the pacifier goes on the floor, we boil water, disinfect it, do all this stuff. By the time the second or third one comes out, we pick it up, five-second rule, and stick that thing back in there. 
we know this guy, right? Everybody knows this guy in the movies or TV, you know, so that, that, that kid at school that's got all the answers, first one to raise their hand, puts an apple on the teacher's desk, buys some elaborate Christmas gift for the, the teacher. We call him the teacher's, teacher's pet. My question for you this morning, and don't answer it out loud and don't answer it to yourself until you really think about it. You ought to think when you come to church. My question is, does God play favorites? In other words, are there some people in some circumstances that sometimes that God is closer to, pays more attention to than others? Now, first of all, let me understand. I, I want you to understand, I know where I'm at. I'm in a free will Baptist church. I work for a free will Baptist organization. I am a free will Baptist myself, and I understand that we as free will Baptists believe that it wasn't, when it comes to salvation, the answer to that question is no. God does not play favorites. God treats everybody the ground at Calvary is level. Matter of fact, uh, somebody said it was a good, a good uh, illustration is uh, Isaiah 53, 6. I think we've got it there. If, if you're here this morning and you're not right with God, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, all you have to do is take a stroll down to the gate of the book of Isaiah, go down the lane at chapter 53, go in the gate at verse 6, which begins with a three-letter word, starts with A, ends with L, got an L in the middle. What is that first word? Do you know what? I knew I was coming to Lincoln in North Carolina. I know the quality, uh, the level of preaching you get, Eric. So I investigated it. I studied it in the original language. Do you know what that word means literally? All. Everybody. All, it says, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We get that right. We're all sinners. We're all messed up. We've all failed. And then it says, the Lord hath laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us. What's the last word? Looked it up too. Guess what? It means the same thing. We are all messed up. We have all failed. And God laid on Jesus the sin of us all. So somebody said, if you're not sure, if you're going to heaven, just go in the gate at verse 6 of Isaiah 53, go in at the first all, come out at the last all, and you'll be saved. Now listen, we're going to spend all week together. You need to realize, when I do this, that means I've made a particularly good point that I think you ought to amen. If you do not amen when I do that, I will run down, sit down, and have to amen myself. If I have to do that five or six times, look up here, I'm out of shape, I'll get winded, and this thing could take three hours. You all pick up fast in North Carolina. All have sinned, and all, Jesus died for all. So I understand in relation to salvation, the answer to that question would be no. But my question remains, are there times, are there certain people, are there certain situations where God plays favors, where he is closer to some than he is to others? And I would present to you right up front that I believe that the answer to that question is yes. And I'm going to attempt to prove that to you from Scripture. Now the obvious next question is what? Well, maybe it's not as obvious as I thought. 
The obvious question, if God plays favorites, what would be the next obvious question you would ask? Who is it? Who is God's favorite? If God plays favorite, if he's closer to some than he is at others, who would that be? Well, again, I'd like if you'd take, put your God hat on, if you could play, play God for a moment, we could imagine. Get your thinking caps on. If God played favorite, who would it be? Well, my first guess would be this guy. I mean, if I, I mean, come on. I mean, one of North Carolina's favorites. I mean, from uh, you know, live right, right, real close here, uh, from, from from right here. That's Billy Graham. Uh, you know, and I know we don't agree with every little thing that Billy Graham ever did. But man, come on, in his ministry. No, never a, never a hint of any kind of moral scandal or any, I mean, he was clean as could be. And in his lifetime, they tell me that Billy Graham, as an evangelist, preached not on TV, but live. I'm talking about in person, he preached over 215 million people in 185 countries. I mean, come on. God had a favorite. It had to be somebody like Brother Billy. Or maybe it would be somebody like this guy. I don't know if he's still on TV down here. He went home to be with the Lord. That's, Jack, that's evangelist Jack Van Impe. You ever seen his TV program, him and his wife Rexella? They're on like a, a newscast. Uh, they look like they're newscasters at a table. He's a, he was a big prophecy guy. Why would I include him? Because they tell me. You know what his nickname was? Jack Van Impe's nickname was The Walking Bible. Do you know why they called him the walking Bible? Because they tell me that Jack Van Impey memorized, I said he memorized, I said he memorized over 18,000 verses of Scripture, including virtually the entire New Testament. Is this thing working? Did you hear what I said? I didn't say he read that much. I said he memorized 18,000 verses, including the entire New Testament. Shazam! Got to be somebody like Jack Van Empey. Or maybe if God plays favorite, and I don't have a picture for this guy, if God plays favorite, it had to be somebody like Jim Hedgeland. Now, Jim Hedgeland, that, that name does not sound familiar to you, but Jim Hedgeland was from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And on April the 1st, 1934, as a seven-year-old boy, Jim Hedgeland walked into the Johnstown United Methodist Church in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, as a seven-year-old boy, <coughs> and he went to Sunday school. You say, big deal, we've all been to Sunday school. A lot of us just went just right now this morning, not a big deal. Yeah, but Jim Hedgeland, as a seven-year-old boy, went back the next Sunday to Sunday school, and the Sunday after that, he went for a full year, never missed, and got a perfect attendance award. And when he died, Jim Hedgeland had a perfect attendance record of never missing Sunday school in 80 years. You hear what I said? I said he never missed. I said he never missed Sunday school in 80 years. And I looked that up. I didn't believe that. I thought, I mean, good grief, you're talking about. Pennsylvania, you're talking about bad weather, talking about vacations, talking about sickness. There's no way. And you can look, you can Google this later. They did an article before he died. He was living in an assisted living home. And twice the man had surgery, was in the hospital, 
and they dismissed the Sunday school class and brought it to his Sunday school, to his hospital room so he wouldn't miss. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? God had a favorite. Surely got to be somebody like Jim Hedgley. But if those are the kind of answers that you're thinking this morning, all of the above are incorrect. The answer to the question is found in Psalm 34 and verse 18. Here's the answer to my question this morning. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh. He is near. He is closest to. Okay, here it is. Here's the answer. <clears throat> Get ready for it. Who's he closest to? The Lord is nigh <coughs> unto them that are of a broken heart and saves such be as of a contract. That word contract means broken or bruised or crushed or battered. A bruised spirit. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, if you don't hear anything else I say all week, you listen good to the statement I'm about to make. The God that I serve is attracted to brokenness. And the thing I love about Psalm 34, you're, I mean, you're looking at it this morning. The thing I love about that verse is if you'll notice, there is no stipulations as to how you got broken. Now listen, I don't know very many of you at all. Most of you I am looking at for the first time in my life. But I can tell you this, across this building today, there are people who are broken. There are broken people all over this building. And we're broken for many different reasons. Some in the church are broken because of sickness. I'm talking about you've been physically sick in body. And we know those people in the church, right? People, somebody gets sick, somebody goes in the hospital, somebody has a bad doctor's diagnosis, we put them on the prayer chain, we maybe send them a card, we may send them flowers, we may take them a meal, we pray for them, we know them. But the one thing, do you realize about being sick in body? If you are physically sick long enough, it will affect you not only physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually. But we know that category this morning. And then uh, there are some folks here this morning in this crowd, no doubt, who are broken because of sorrow. You've lost somebody in your life that is near and dear to your heart. In a crowd this size, I am confident across this building, there are folks that have had to say goodbye at some point to your spouse. Your spouse has passed away. And you know, the biblical definition of marriage is two becoming one. And so when, you, when, when your spouse dies, you lose part of you. And obviously, the more years and, and some people... You know, lose someone that they've been married to most of their life. I mean, it's literally losing a part of themselves. And some here know what it's like to say goodbye to your mom, your dad, a grandparent, maybe a sibling. And a, and a crowd this size, and obviously, I am not just guessing about this. I know this, that in this crowd there are people who have... Uh, lost a child 
and it is the, the most devastating and it's the most unnatural pain of all, really. Somebody said, you know, when, when, a, when a man loses his wife, we call him a widower. When a woman loses her husband, we call her a widow. When children have lost their parents, we call them an orphan, but we don't have anything to call a parent who's lost a child because the, 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 the devastation of that is that there really isn't any words to, to put on that. But, but we know this crowd in the church too. We, we know those who've lost somebody. When somebody passes away, we, uh, we put them on the prayer chain, take them some flowers, make them, maybe visit them, maybe go to the funeral home, maybe take them, take them a meal, cook them, a, have a dinner. The thing about sorrow is uh, for a moment everybody bands together, but then life goes on. Life goes on. But for somebody who has lost a part of them, somebody who has lost somebody near and dear to them, life never, ever goes back completely to normal. Time will heal somewhat, but, but, but it's, a, it's a wound that time cannot erase. But we know that category of people. But there are a third category of people who are broken here, and we don't know them as well. They're hidden across this building. Some today are broken because of circumstances in their life. I'm just, this is just reality preaching. But across this building, there are people, if you would be honest, and you would look back right now at your life up until this point, if you look back, you would, you would probably say, uh, you know, this is not really what I signed up for. This is, as I look back on my life up to now, this is not how I thought it would turn out. And you're struggling with things that maybe nobody else knows about. Do you know why this category we don't know in this building? Because we come to church and we do a lot of pretending. I used to tell our church when I pastored in Ohio, I believe there's more lying goes on at the house of God than anywhere else because you don't know how you're going to make it. You've got emotional problems, financial problems, marital problems, problems with a wayward child or grandchild. You don't know how you're going to make it. You cried yourself to sleep, and then we get up on Sunday, put our Sunday best on, walk in that door, and somebody says, How you doing, brother, sister? And we say, Doing fine. Praise the Lord. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why we do that. Because we want folks to think we change our clothes in a phone booth and we've got a big red cape underneath our uh, clothes with a big red S and we're super Christian. But the reality is trouble comes to everybody's house. Here's a news flash. You've got heart medicine. Better get those nitro pills out right now. Some of you are not going to. Listen, trouble even comes to the preacher's house. One of my favorite stories of all time is that pastor and his wife. They are on their way to church in the car on Sunday morning. And on the way to church, they are having a moment of intense fellowship. That's a spiritual way of saying they're fighting on the way to church. And it's getting ugly. And he's raising his voice and the veins in his neck are turning purple. And they've just had this fight on the way to church. They pull into the church parking lot. There's some other church people getting out of their cars. The pastor's getting ready after this big fight with his wife to get out, start shaking hands, do the preacher thing. His wife looks over, smiles real big and says, turn it on, preacher, turn it on. (laughs) 
Listen, listen to me. The reality is, if we'd be honest, all of us at one time or another have walked in those doors and turned it down. A hidden group. And then there are some across this building who are here that are broken because of sin. Let's be honest. I know who my worst enemy is. I look at him in the mirror every morning when I get up. Sin. Sometimes we just do, don't do what we're supposed to do. And how many know that sin will take you farther than you want to go? It'll leave you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Sometimes we just make mistakes and mess up. I don't care how many categories. All of you have identified some categories that you fit in that I've just mentioned. But here's the good news. Look at that verse again. No qualifiers. Doesn't say if you have a broken heart that you did not cause or you didn't mess up and cause that or it wasn't your, your fault. No, it just says if you're broken. In any area of your life, if you are messed up today, you don't have it all together, if you are broken, you, you are God's favorite. And you know, did you hear what, the, did you hear that after I made that statement? Now, would you agree with me? That's very good news, what I just said. But did you hear? Not one amen. Do you know why that is? And I get this response all over this country. Because we have a hard time accepting that. Because the devil is very good at talking to us and making us feel unworthy and making us feel that we don't have it all together and we get into church and the devil whispers, boy, they don't, if they knew everything about you, they wouldn't even let you in this building. You're nothing but a hypocrite, you know, all this stuff. Listen, I love to quote what my old friend, preacher, Evangelist Billy Field said, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want to come hear me preach. But if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't care if you came or not. We've all got things in our closet we're not proud of, but aren't you glad? God knows everything about you, everything about you, and he still loves you. If you are messed up for any reason, You are God's favorite. And here's why. The devil makes you think that all the things in your life that aren't right and that, that all the mistakes and all the failures and all, the, all of that makes God a million miles away from you. But what you don't understand is according to the word of God, all of those things that make you think that God's a million miles away from you is exactly the reason why he's closest to you. You are God's favorite. I can tell. I'm getting pushback. I get it all over this country. I get it. I understand. You're not used to hearing a message like that. Well, I, we're not leaving until I prove it. I'm going to win you all over. Okay, so just settle in. This may take a while. But I can tell some of you are looking at me like you don't know if you believe it or not. From the Word of God, let me give you a couple examples, and we'll move on. Moses. Remember Moses? Remember Moses having to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. You remember what happened a couple, they just, they just got on the journey to Canaan. You remember? They stopped and Moses went up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai to get the law, you know, remember? The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, you know, lightning and the, those tablets and all that stuff. And you remember what happened when Moses came down off the mountain? He could hear a rock band playing and the children of Israel had all done that. They were all down at the crystal pistol boozing and cruising around and they had made, a, they didn't just get out of church, they set up a false god in a matter of days. 
at a statue. And Moses was about to have a nervous breakdown. He went to God. He said, Lord, you're going to have to take, I'm, I can't take this anymore. These free will Baptists are driving me crazy. Remember what God said? He said, now Moses, I'd give you a pep talk, but he said, I can't come down there and see you face to face because nobody's seen me in all of my glory and lived. But Moses, there is a place. Aren't you glad for the brokenhearted that God has a place? He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to come and put you in the hollow of my hand and I'm going to put you in the cleft of that rock over there and then I'm going to pass by. You'll get to see, have just a taste of my glory. I reckon that the one person on this earth that got closer to the glory of God was an old broken down preacher by the name of Moses about ready to quit and have a nervous breakdown. Why would God do that for him? You know the answer to that, don't you? Because God plays favorites. He is closer to the broken. I still didn't hear one amen. We're going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going until I win you all over. Example number two, John the Baptist. He's in prison. He's getting ready to lose his life for the cause of Christ. He gets so discouraged, he sends two representatives, two messengers, sends them to Jesus, asks Jesus, Jesus, are you the one we're looking for or do we need to look for somebody else? You understand what that means? John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet that ever lived, got so discouraged, he doubted whether Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus could have yelled at him. Jesus could have said, you tell John, you big dummy, you of all people ought to know that I, John, you were there, you baptized me for Pete's sake. I mean, the only time I could see in the Bible, all three members of the Godhead there, the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the Son in the water, John, you were there. But He didn't yell at him, did he? What did he do? The Bible says in the same hour he turned around, he healed a blind eye over here, made the lame to walk over here, healed a leper over here, did a bunch of miracles and then turned around and said, you go tell John what you've just seen. John, you're in prison, but I'm not. John, I am the one. I am the son of God. You are serving. You haven't made a mistake, John. He encouraged him. He could have yelled at him. He, couldn't have given, he could have given him a lecture. But he encouraged him in his time of need. Why would God do that? Somebody already knows the answer, I hope. Because the God we serve plays favorites. You remember Peter? Probably nobody in human history has messed up on a bigger scale, on a larger stage than Peter. You remember in the upper room night before Jesus died? Jesus said, I'm fixing to go away. So one of you going to betray me. Remember Peter put his arm around Jesus? Now, Jesus, I'm telling you right now, all these other losers leave you. <laughs> Rubber and glue, baby. I'm right there with you all the way. And you remember what happened? A few hours later, not once, not twice, three times, he curses and says, I don't even know that blankety-blank Jesus. At the time that the Lord needed somebody the most, he let him down. Do you remember when the ladies came to the tomb after Jesus had risen from the dead and they gave them the message that the Lord goes before the disciples to Galilee and come and see him, he's alive? Do you remember that they said, go and tell the disciples and they mentioned one disciple by name. Anybody want to guess who it was? 
You got three guesses, the first two don't count. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Why would he mention Peter by name out of all of them? Because he knew how discouraged and despondent Peter was going to be because of his failure, and God wanted him to know everything is forgiven. It's all right. You're still a part of the family. Come on. Why would he do that? You already know the answer. Because God plays favorites. He's closest to the broken. I got three amens. We're making progress. One more. We don't know her name. We know her as the woman caught. We know her as the adulterous woman. She was caught in the very act of adultery and brought to Jesus and thrown at his feet. You ever wonder where the fellow was in that deal? I got some ideas on that, and you can ask me later. I don't have time to talk about that now. And uh, by the way, those religious muckety-mucks, they didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about what she'd done. They were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to trap it. They said, the law says she needs to die. What do you say? Jesus, he said, uh, all right, we'll have the first rock concert in history. All the rocks will be on her. We'll, have, we'll stone her. You in this crowd that are without sin, you cast the first stone. And then he turned around and he began to write in the sand. Do you remember that? Jesus wrote in the sand. Now, boy, when I get to heaven, one of the first things I want to find out, I want to know what he wrote. Now, there's a lot of different opinions. Some people think he wrote an Old Testament scripture verse. Some people think he wrote the secret sins of all those religious muckety-mucks. Some even think he might have wrote the name of that man that was involved in this deal who might have been in the crowd because how in the world would they have known where she was at in the first place? I don't know. All I know is the longer and more he wrote, the faster those guys left. I mean, they were out of there. When he turns back to the woman, everybody's gone. It's just him and her. And now that woman who has sinned and failed is left with the only person on the face of the earth that had the right to judge her, the sinless, spotless Son of God. And then God asks a question. You ought to pay close attention in the Bible when God asks a question because when God asks a question, it ain't never because he doesn't already know the answer. He said, woman... Where are your accusers? Are there any left? She said, none, Lord. And Then Jesus said the words that still thrill sin-cursed sinners who come to the foot of the cross when he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He who could have judged her spoke grace and peace and forgiveness into that woman's life. Why? You already know the answer. Because God plays favor. God is closest to the broken. That's the message this morning. Now, here's the question you may have. Why am I delivering that message to you? And why am I delivering this message literally around and across this country? Well, to know the answer to that question, you would have to know the story of our family.
Our family story is a typical, it's a story of thousands of families across the Midwest, a typical Midwestern family. My wife and I raising our two sons, Matthew and Aaron, in Northeast Ohio, rural Northeast Ohio, pastor 21 years at Canaan Free Will Baptist Church, small town pastor, I mean the village of Creston. I mean our church started in Sterling. I mean I'm talking about the country. I'm talking about our zip code was E-I-E-I-O. I'm talking about more cows than people. I'm talking about, you, you get the idea. We didn't get the Friday night opera until Sunday night. You get the idea. I mean, it's <clears throat> very typical life. Small town life, vacations, and birthday parties, and ball games. Matter of fact, you throw that next picture up there. Um, that is taken in Creston, Ohio, and is at one the corner of Carroll and Kimberly Drive in Creston, the village of Creston at 102 Carroll Drive. It's in our front yard uh, where the house that we, when, when the boys were little. Uh, that is a picture of me, and that is our oldest son, Matthew. Uh, he was uh, 12 at the time, and you can tell if you can see that that's baseball uniforms. Uh, baseball game, just very typical life, uh, and I, I was uh, I was uh, one of the coaches of uh, his little league teams, and uh, this is my favorite picture of he and I because you can tell he's pretty happy, and I'm pretty happy. This the, the story behind this picture is uh, we had just completed a baseball game at McIntyre Field there in Creston. We were playing that night the the toughest team in the county. I mean they were unbeatable. I mean they were. They were the Goliath to our David. and uh, So we were in the game, and uh, we were doing surprisingly well against them. And late in the game, actually, uh, we managed somehow to load the bases. And uh, I was the third base coach. If you know anything about baseball, I'm the person who gives the signs to the batter, you know, tells you know, what, whatever to do, and runners. Uh, and I looked over to the on-deck circle to see who was up to bat next, and it was, it was our son, Matthew. Now, this is going to sound very unspiritual for a preacher to say this, but I'm telling you, I did not get down on my knees in the third base box, but I did some of the most fervent praying I have ever done in my life in that moment. And here's basically what I prayed. Lord, if I have ever done anything good in my entire life or ministry, like a kid at Chuck E. Cheese cashing in his tokens, I'm cashing in, please, Lord. And here's what I'm praying. I don't, even, I don't even expect or want a base hit. A walk would be great. If the pitcher would manage to slip and, and, and hit him with the ball, not hurt him, but hey, that's, a, that's an RBI. We're going to get a run. Just don't, please, Lord, if I've ever done anything good in my life, please just don't let him strike out. Now, again, if you know anything about baseball, our, our son was the number five hitter, so he wasn't, the, he wasn't, the, he wasn't the, the big home run hitter. He was, the, he was the fast guy after the home run hitter. He's the number five hitter. And uh, McIntyre Field had no fences. And uh, our, our neighbor, Mike Wallace, was, uh, was our head coach. He said later it was the hardest hit ball he had ever seen in the Little League ever. I think the center fielder's still looking for the ball because, I mean, there was no fence. So, I mean, it went into the next field. And 
Of course, I'm at third base. You know what the third base runner, you know, with, with three runners on, you know what I'm doing. I'm like a windmill, you know, go, go, go. And uh, I'll never forget it. Here he comes, 12 years old. I mean, he is kicking for everything he's got, coming around third. I don't even think, to be honest, that he ever looked at me. He wouldn't have stopped if I'd have held him up. He ran right on through. He didn't even have to slide. Standing up, grand slam. So this pitcher is taken after that game. Somebody's looking at the pitcher one time, and they say, well, how many did you win by? I said, oh, we lost the game big, but he hit a grand slam. I mean, come on, you know. Very average, very normal life. If you could put the, go to the next picture, this is me and that same kid quite a few years later uh, on a visit when we were in, by now living in Tennessee and back. And go ahead and put the next picture up and just leave that next one up. Uh, that's his senior picture. Uh, you know, this story really wouldn't be anything worth telling except for the fact that one moment in time, and it was a moment that I was not aware of at the time, things changed in our family, in our life, when what I call the enemy came into our home. I didn't know the enemy was there. I promise you, if I had known the enemy had shown up, I would have fought with everything I had. Now, a lot of people say a lot of dumb things about things that they don't know they're ignorant of. A lot of people ask, when kids get into trouble, where are the parents at? Well, I'll tell you where the parents were at in this deal. We were sitting in the next room. I mean, we're under the same roof, the same house. We were not absentee parents. But how many know? Now, I don't know about kids in, in, in North Carolina. How many kids in Ohio can be sneaky and deceptive? Anybody know that you've got a kid in North Carolina that can be sneaky if they want, if they don't want, if they want to hide something? Um, and I can tell you exactly when the enemy came. I can tell you that now. I didn't know at the time. Now, this is going to sound very undramatic. Some of you are going to even think this is humorous when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Here's where the enemy came. When, he was, when that young man that you're looking at was 15 years old in a social setting with some friends there locally, he was offered a beer. Now, there's a lot of discussion today in the day and age which we live in about gateway drugs. Matter of fact, the debate today is, is pot because, you know, pot marijuana is legal in a lot of places, so there's a big debate about whether pot is a gateway drug, whether it leads automatically to worse things. But let me tell you what the most deadly gateway drug in America is. You may not like this. But I'm telling you the facts. I mean, we can go out in the parking lot, and, you know, we, if you want to disagree with me, I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth. The number one gateway drug in America is alcohol. Two-thirds of all drug addicts start with the mind-altering substance of alcohol. True story. Now, look, I know some, some of you are thinking, preacher, come on. I mean, this is, all, but I'm not just going to tell the truth in church. This is almost a battle we've lost in our free will Baptist churches because, as you know, a lot of people, they, they've got beer in the refrigerator. Listen, you, preacher, you can't tell me. There's lots of people 
You can't tell me that drinking a beer is a sin. I can't take you to a verse to tell you drinking a beer is a sin. I can also not tell you if you go out in the garden and wrestle a snake that you won't get bit. But why in the world would you be stupid enough to do it? Gateway drug. You know, preacher, but it's just a beer. I mean, lots of people experiment, yes? But there are other factors at play that you are not thinking about when you're in a social setting with a peer. You're just trying to be cool and fit in. It's just a beer. But you see what my son did not realize at 15. There were several things he was not thinking about. First of all, he was not thinking about genetics. You say, you tell me genetics play a part in addiction? Oh, yeah. Now, you, listen, your family tree does not mean it's inevitable you're going to become an addict, but it does mean some people are more susceptible. Now, you can agree with that or disagree with that. I can show you the facts. I can show you families. I can prove it to you with people. My son, when he's offered that beer, he did not think about, well, let me think. Let's see, my, my grandfather on my mother's side, alcoholic. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, bad alcoholic, um, all of his brothers, alcoholics, let's see, my nephews, cousins, drug addicts, alcoholics, alcoholics, drug addicts. You have a, father, you have a parent or grandparent that is an addict, you are eight times more likely. Now, I know some of that is just because of your surroundings and the way I, I get all of that. Listen, I deal with that in the job I have now. We're on the front line of this. I mean, I deal with this all of the time. I know that. But you're not thinking about that when you're 15. It's just a beer. You're not thinking about mental illness, whether you suffer from clinical depression. A person that suffers with some kind of mental illness is three times as more likely. I mean, when you're 15, I mean, you know, you've probably never been to the doctor. To say, you don't even know, identify depression. Oh, again, you can look at that family tree and see mental illness and depression three times more likely to abuse drugs. The odds were stacked against him, and he had no idea because at 15, it's just a beer. So one part of this this morning is when you pick up any mind-altering substance, you are playing. You, you might be able to try it and walk away. Yes, you might be able to, but you might not. You might be picking up a tiger by the tail that you have no idea. What you're doing is you're playing Russian roulette with your life. At 15, he's not as he takes that beer saying, you know what, I'm going to destroy my life. I'm going to destroy and completely change my family forever. He's not thinking, it's just a beer. But isn't the devil very good at what he does? To deceive us, he is a, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. So that's where it started. It started with a beer, with the alcohol, and again, still at this point, don't know it. That graduated to pot. The pot graduated to pills. By the time this, and I'm, 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 I'm narrowing six, six years of time <coughs> for sake of time, <coughs> by the time the, it's pills, we are aware, and he's getting into trouble, and we're doing the tough love thing and, and all of that. But still when it's pills, in his mind, he's in control. I remember a conversation distinctly that he and I had. We were talking about another young man in our community 
who was a heroin addict. And my son said, yeah, when you get on that needle, it's all over. And I thought to myself, you know what he thinks? He thinks because he's not a junkie. He's better than Dustin, his friend. He's better than him because it's just pills. I can handle it. It's just a beer. It's just pot. It's just pills. There's something else at this point that I need to tell you about our son. He's a Christian. At the age of seven, <coughs> on the school bus on the way home after a Christian camp, by himself, he bowed his head, coming home from school, and asked the Lord to save him, save and baptize. Now, at this point, look, telling the truth in church, a lot of us have problems with that. A lot of us get nervous right now. That's why I can say, I can say these things, because the, I've earned the right to say them. <clears throat> we get... We get uh, I know some of you that don't know anything about what I'm talking about uh, and have never had to experience this. Thankfully, in your family, you're thinking, I don't know. Christian and a drug addict. Do you know why we have a hard time with that? It's because in the church, we rate sin. Here's how we rate sin in the church. Here's how the average Christian rates sin. There's the stuff you do that's real bad and sinful, and then there's the stuff I do that's not so bad. I can prove this. I mean, look up here. I have never gotten drunk in my life. I have never used an illicit drug. My battle, look at me, is not with a needle or a bottle. My battle is with a fork and a spoon. <laughs> but you know what we do in the church? We do exactly what you just did right there. Did you hear what you did? We all do it. We laugh. You're not going to find drug addiction in the Bible, but you are going to find gluttony as a sin. And we not only, we excuse that one, we not only excuse it, but a lot of times we participate in that one at church. Y'all come to homecoming, we're going to have biscuits and fried chicken and gravy, it's going to be great. I, you don't have to amen it or not, you know I'm telling the truth this morning because we judge sin. We rate sin. And I guarantee you, Ah, drug addict and a Christian. I guarantee you, if I die next week of high blood pressure and bad cholesterol with my hand and a bucket of Bojangles chicken, nobody's going to come around my casket and say, well, I don't know if he made it. You know, he battled that food addiction. Why? Because we race in. Try to help somebody here. You see, when we talk about break the chains, breaking the chains, yeah, we talk to addicts. And we talk to those who are struggling with sin, but we are also talking about judgmental church people who think they are better than other people because they sin differently than other people. I want you to hear this, and I want those people that are struggling with things that make them feel so bad and guilty for them to realize, listen, I'm not excusing anything. I'm just saying we all need to take a look in the mirror sometimes. But a Christian, and I, I struggle with this, with, with, with Matthew. I can remember he's in rehab. I remember we're sitting in gazebo exactly where we were at when we had this conversation. I said, son, and I was afraid to ask the question because I didn't know what the answer was going to be. I said, are you, a, I mean, because you take it personally. Some of you have walked this road in this room. Some of you have walked the road as a family member. 
And I said, what about your life? I mean, do you hate your life? Are you an atheist? Did you not mean it when you accepted the Lord? I mean, do you hate the way you were raised? Do you hate me? And here's what he said. He said, no, Daddy. He said, I believe then and I believe now. But he said, Dad, uh, one of my counselors said something the other day that really made sense to me. He said, sometimes when the devil can't get the man of God, he'll go after his wife. And I remember hearing him say that, and I remember thinking, I, I don't know if that's what's going on here, but I tell you what I got out of that, I was so thankful to hear my son that he considered me a man of Uh, here's how sin goes. 2016, early 2016, one of the happiest days of my life, I got my son arrested and thrown in jail. Isn't that what every parent wants for their dreams, for their children, to have them thrown in jail? Do you know why it was a happy day for me? Do you know why I laid down my head and rested for the first night in a long time? Because I, I knew where he was at. I knew he had food to eat. I knew I wasn't going to get a call. He was beside the road somewhere. Again, Christian, struggling, an addict. From jail, we talked. He said, Dad, would you send me some copies of your sermon notes? I said, good grief, you've heard all of my sermons a hundred times. Why would you? He said, well, I'm, we have devotions. He was, in with a, he was in a pod with a man on trial for murder. He said, we have devotions at night, and I, read, I just read your some of your notes and read from the Bible and we have prayer. From jail to court order rehab and I have letters and I've met personally some of the fellows in rehab. Distinct memories of our son leading prayer every night begging God to take away his addiction. Talking about getting a hold of something that you have no idea, something you thought you had control over now has control over you. If you could go to the next picture, the end of 2016. Out of jail, out of rehab, clean almost a year. Uh, we had written letters to try to get him out of Ohio and get him with us, but because of probation, he's tied to that area. But they did allow him to come to Nashville and, uh, for Christmas. This is Christmas Day, 2016. This is right after Christmas meal. Let's take a picture. Can I tell you, this is, this, this is off the subject, this isn't spiritual. Take joy in the memories of every day. Don't look for happiness out there somewhere. Cherish every moment that you have because someday the memories are going to be all that you have. My son, my old, uh, youngest son, the big boy in the back, Aaron, we took Matthew back the next day, took him back to Ohio. We went to his uh, favorite restaurant. We then went to the grocery store, get whatever you need. 
Can you believe the thing that he was happiest about was a case, a case of Raymond noodles. I think that's a jail thing. I don't know. Some of them. Uh, February 2017. Uh, it's a Friday night. I'm in California preaching at the uh, California Men's Retreat. And Matt calls me. We talk for a half hour. There was nothing in that conversation that night that led me to believe that he was struggling again, but he was. I promise you, I promise you, if I'd have known he was struggling, I'd have kept him on the phone. I'd have got in my car in California, and I'd kept Later that night, after almost a year clean, he was, he was in, in a halfway house. He was in a sober recovery house. He uh, had a job, and we, we, we talked that night. I had set his date for his one-year anniversary of being clean. I had set, cleared my calendar to be, we were all going to be there. But later that night, he left. And after a year being clean, your body cannot take what you did before. And the, the heroin that he got a hold of that night was laced with carfentanil. I hope you don't know these things. I hope you don't know these terms. I hope you've never heard it before. Fentanyl is like 100 times more powerful than morphine. Carfentanil is like rhinoceros or elephant tranquilizer. You ever see a video of a policeman in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in somebody's car doing a drug bust and one grain ingesting just a little bit of it can be deadly. And on February 25th, on Saturday, in a parking lot of the Hampton Inn, in the most horrible and ugly, that I don't even want to think about it, way possible, I was informed and found out that our son, at the age of 23, had died of an accidental overdose after this, this, this struggle. Um, I can tell you this is not the way, at this point, that we wanted that story to end. I, I was determined... All the way through, uh, he, he was in a church meeting, a recovery meeting that, 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 that night, that Friday night, uh, and, and we were determined, and I was determined that we would do this, what I'm doing now, together one day. That was his desire. And we had a point. We had a, we had a decision to make. Uh, when you suffer a tragedy like that, to go home and feel sorry for yourself and just curse God, Give it up. Or to make his life and his struggle matter to somebody. That's why I have new heroes right now. And by the way, let me stop and say right now, your pastor and his family had the same decision to make when you suffer a devastating loss. You're just going to throw up your hands or you're going to do something. Are you going to make Landon's life count for something greater? And that's what they've done. My new heroes. These are my heroes. And so one week later after our son's death, in the same pulpit that I'd preached in for 21 years, there in that little village of Creston, Ohio, in front of a packed-out church, I took our son's Bible off of his casket. I went to the pulpit and I preached his funeral. By the way, if you put the next slide, I think it's the next slide up there. If you want to take a picture of that or if you want to write that down, you can. if you go on YouTube, just put that in. And that funeral is on there. It has been viewed tens of thousands of times. It is actually mandatory watching in every drug and alcohol program in Wayne County, Ohio, uh, where we are from. And 
I would recommend it for those who are struggling with this right now or those for addicts, families of addicts, and just anybody who has lost a child uh, for, for any reason. And this has changed the course of my ministry and our family because it was our son's desire to help somebody else. And so that really is what we have dedicated uh, our ministry. And that's why we began shortly after he passed to do these services, addiction, awareness, and recovery, break the chain. I can tell you the first time I did that was in uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina. There was a young lady that had gotten out of jail. She was in prison for methamphetamines. She had got out of jail. She completely relapsed and went back to jail. After six years in prison, got back out, got in jail, was released from jail on a Tuesday morning. Uh, some folks from the church said, you've got to come and hear this guy and hear his story. That night, she got her physical freedom that morning. She walked the aisle and got saved that night. I was just back at Faith in Goldsboro. She came to that meeting with her grandchild and her husband, longest she has been sober in her adult life, and she says, I, I, I know that this has been hard for you, but your son saved my life. Because every time that I thought, she said, there have been times I've had the drugs in my hand, and I thought about you, and I thought about your story, and I knew you wouldn't want me to do it, and I knew that it would hurt you more than you've been through enough. Now, I don't understand that. She had a daughter. I'd think that'd be enough, but whatever works, folks, whatever works. Uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, Brother uh, Daniel Edwards in Chandler, North Carolina, I, I came to their church and, and told what I just told you. They have a prison, uh, they have a jail ministry. They also have a recovery ministry. A man pulled me out. I was headed to the back as we dismissed. He pulled me out of the service, weeping. He said, I'm a heroin addict. I've lost everything twice, and I'm struggling this morning. But to hear you tell me what you have just told me, that I am God's favorite. He said, it's a gift that I can't even, I will never be able to repay you. But the church was, was touched by that story. They have a uh, sober living house. They bought a house across the street from the church, and they renovated it to take care of those, one of the most worst, toughest times for an addict is after they get out of jail and they have no place to go and they burn a lot of bridges with the people that they know and trust and so they have a house, a sober living house and they asked if they could uh, name it after our son. So that's, that's Matt's, Matt's house in Chandler, Indiana. And then the last slide is uh, four years ago. I tell folks, I had a good job. I had a job that I, was, that I dreamed of. I, I was working with my hero, Dr. David Crow in our home missions department in Nashville I wasn't looking for a job, but uh, the board of Free Will Baptist Family Ministries uh, called me four and a half years ago, and uh, we work and deal and minister to broken people. Between our foster program and the four children's homes that we have, we take care of about 125 kids. The Huffs uh, have ministered and worked uh, in our, uh, <coughs> our foster program. Uh, until they got out of the will of God and started building a church in North Carolina. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, and so they know this story very well. 90 plus percent, I think you would agree, 90 plus percent of the kids that we take care of are with us because their parents or gra and or grandparents are unable or unwilling to take care of them because they're addicted. So we are on the front lines. By the way, we have a crisis pregnancy center. 75% of the clients there are addicted. 
time from pregnant and addicted and struggling. And so that's why we're in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of East Tennessee, so that I can sit down on every Thursday as I do with our boys on our campus and have a meal with them at 4 o'clock and share with them the same story I've shared with you and tell them our, our son's struggle is over. But in his behalf, we're here to tell you that somebody loves you and somebody cares and God is closest to the broken. He wants to help you. We, we, we're dedicating our lives to work with broken and vulnerable. And so here's the message this morning. I don't know where you're at. don't know what you're going through. This message hits everybody differently. But if you are here, first of all, foremost, if you are here and you are struggling with some kind of addiction, it may not, there's a lot of other addictions. I already mentioned food. It may be porn. It may be uh, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. You're God's favorite. I'm not excusing what you're doing, but by, I hope you've heard I'm an advocate to say, hey, listen, we all sin in various ways. It's not the unpardonable sin. God knows about what you're doing and what's going on, and He loves you, and He cares about you, and He is closest to you. He wants to help you. If you are here and you are a family member of an addict, by the way, addicts and family members of addicts, I've just described over 50% of the American population right there. Over 50% of the people in this room are either struggling with addiction or you have somebody close to you right now that you can think of that's struggling with it. You're God's favorite. If you're mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you're not a bad parent. God loves you. He knows about I know it's, a hor it's the worst thing in the world because you want to love and care for your kids and then you realize that your help that you're giving your kid is sometimes enabling them to do things and to de deprive them of that help. For a mother especially, it is the worst thing. In the, it just stinks for everybody. I want you to know, I see you, I know you, I know where you're at. And God knows where you're at, and he loves you. There's just sometimes strength in sharing this and knowing that there's somebody else that knows what you're going through. If you're here and you have lost a child, not just necessarily for, for, for addiction or any reason at all, you are God's favorite because there is no brokenness an unspeakable brokenness, an unnatural brokenness. God knows and He cares. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, it may be a marital problem. It may be a problem that nobody knows today. I'm not talking about a God that just will erase everything and make it magically go away. I'm talking about a God that knows where you're at and He knows what it's like to be broken and He knows what it's like to hurt. And He wants to help you today. He's only a prayer way. I would recommend him to you, and we can make decisions at our seat, but sometimes it's just good just to pour it out, just to talk it over with him. And if you need to do that, we're not going to leave here without giving you that opportunity. But let me give you some life, a life lesson here at the close. So many times, I remember when I was a kid, I watched my sister get on the school bus Oh, I couldn't wait to get on that school bus and learn to read and write and all that. And then got into school and spent the next 12 years saying, Oh, I can't wait till I get out of here. Oh, I can't wait till I was 16 years old and the state of Ohio would give me that plastic piece of paper with my picture on it that said I could get in a car by myself. That was, I mean, I've made it. And then I've spent 40 years saying, I wish I'd get out of this car. I wish I had a chauffeur all these miles. Oh, I wish I could have a job. Then we get the job and spend 40 years. Oh, I can't wait till I retire. And then we retire. And before we know it, listen, 
Happiness is not off there somewhere. Happiness is in the moments, day to day. Because listen, I'll be honest with you, going to the cemetery does nothing for me. I know everybody's different. It doesn't do anything for me because I grieve privately. It's very personal. I don't want to sit with a whole bunch of people driving by the road. I don't want to, it doesn't do anything for me. But I promise you, next month when I go home to Creston, Ohio, before I leave town, I will take my car. And the last stop I will make will be McIntyre Baseball Field. And I will park my car on the third baseline. And I will see a 12-year-old boy kicking for everything he has. Coming around third. And never coming back. Only got one life, folks. Make it last. Let's make it honor God. Let's love Him and love each other because life is too short. I tell folks when we go to Myrtle Beach, it's painful because there's so many memories, so many vacations we spent there. And I'm telling you, I tell you, this sounds strange to you unless you understand. Unless you understand, you don't, I'm not going to understand. But I see those signs, fireworks. See, in Ohio, it was illegal to have fireworks. You, had to, you couldn't buy fireworks in Ohio, so we had to go out of state to get them. Just being honest. And man, I used to hate that fireworks sign when the kids were little because I knew we wouldn't stop. We, we're going to drop at least $100 every time. And you know, maybe I could have had my house paid off earlier, the car paid off earlier. But now when I see those signs, it brings comfort to me because it's the best investment that I made. It's the best investment because one day the memories are going to be Let's get this thing right. Trust our lives and our brokenness and our hurt to a God who knows what we're going through and he knows what it's like to be broken. And if you are struggling in any way today, please take comfort in the fact that he knows and he cares and you are his favorite child. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, <coughs> I thank you for the patience of these folks. This has been long. It's went... <clears throat> very lengthy. They've been very patient and very respectful, and I so appreciate that. God, we come now to a time of invitation. We wouldn't want to close this thing. First day of revival, first service of revival. Uh, Lord, uh, God, we come to you. Lord, I, I don't know how this hits everybody. This hits everybody differently. I can see pain in, in people's face. I can see... Uh, a lot of things going through a lot of minds and hearts. Lord, I do know this. Not a lot I do know. I'm not a grief counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a guy from Ohio who's been through some stuff. And There's strength in telling. There's strength in sharing. and There's strength at the altar. Jesus died so that we don't have to go through this thing alone. And for that person that may be here that never accepted you, Lord, we make it complicated sometimes. It's just as simple as ABC. We've got to admit that we're a sinner. Believe you died on the cross for our sins. And then confess our sins to you. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, if there's somebody who needs to come pray that prayer, we'll pray with them. God, I pray for broken hearts all over this building. Maybe just some folks that would just like to talk to you about some things, just like pour some things out at this altar. God, I pray you'd meet the need. In this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand all over the building, they come.
They're going to sing a song of invitation. The altar's open. And I, I know this, every great move of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. So as they sing, God is speaking to you. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, we have a high priest that can't be touched. Been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. Every head bowed and every eye closed all over the room just in this moment. Same old holes inside. Personal. There's a better life. There is a God who loves and cares There's and wants to help life. us. If you need to talk to him about anything, you have a loved one that needs to touch. If you need to touch. He's a burden bearer, he's a load lifter. He's a God's speaking in this service. Others that need to come and pray. Your opportunity. He's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out for the same old fight. We've all run to things we just know ain't right. When there's a better life, there's a better life. If you got change, she's a chain breaker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got change.
everybody to be seated this morning. I thank Preacher Jim for sharing, being so transparent with us here today. And the Lord certainly, I know, has worked in hearts. I'm going to have the guys come. Uh, this morning we're receiving a love offering. The love offerings this week um, go to our speaker who took time out of his schedule to travel to be here with us and for God to use him among us to encourage and, and uplift our church in these days. So please give generously. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing uh, over the offering this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Matt Clark if he will to lead us in prayer. stand this morning. Thank you for being here today. Um, tonight, 6 o'clock, please come back. I know the Lord is going to use tonight's service as well. Try And please make plans to come uh, each night of revival this week and support what God wants to do. Uh, I love and appreciate you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here today. It's great to have my brother-in-law, Brother Jonathan Huff, with us in the service. It means a lot to me. Great to see them this morning. Uh, brother, will you please close our service in prayer? 